Future Self Podcast, Episode 32. Shine the shoes of a CEO. Go do whatever it takes to get in that room and to see what he's doing because that's something you'll never learn in college. It's only something that you're going to see on the ground and you, you may not ever have that opportunity again. This is the Future Self Podcast. He's your host, Robert Ingalls. Hello, Future Self listeners, and welcome to episode 32 of the Future Self Podcast, your resource for knowledge, insight, and inspiration to make your future self your biggest fan. You know, I should totally start a podcast. If you have ever said those words, then you are in the right place. I am teaming up with Advent Coworking to bring you Advent Podcast University, Charlotte's first comprehensive podcasting course designed to take you from your idea that you have right now to being on iTunes in four short weeks. Now, whether you're a hobbyist or you're ready to create a business and a brand around your podcast, this course provides you with the tools to bring your unique vision to life. Even if you're still trying to nail down that perfect podcast idea, we have you covered there too. So if you're ready to take your idea and get it on iTunes, go to yourpod.pro to sign up for details. Yourpod.pro. All right, let's jump into today's show. This week, I had Dimitri Apostle in the studio. Dimitri is the owner of the Dimitri J. Apostle Agency, a Brightway independent insurance agency. Now, like accounting, insurance isn't generally thought of as a very sexy profession. But you know that I dig deep here at the Future Self Podcast to bring you the outliers, the people that stand out and make a difference. Dimitri is a systems and processes guy, and he has used those skills to scale agencies in Michigan and North Carolina. If you're looking to start doing the little things every day to make a big impact in your life and business, then this is the episode for you. All right, let's jump into it. So thanks for coming out. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate yeah, absolutely, it. Absolutely, man. It's a cold one out there today. It is freezing. At least it's not snowing. Yeah, at least it's not. I, you see all those pictures from the east? Yeah, and my family in Michigan, they've gotten oh. pounded, so I don't miss that at all. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't feel bad for them. They live in Michigan. Right. Like, <laughs> they kind of signed up for that. Yeah, exactly. You know, when you live in North Carolina and you get snow and it's like deep and it lasts for like a week, you're like, I didn't sign up for this. Yes, yeah, right. Uh, I mean, I think in my entire life, we've had snow that lasted more than a couple of days, maybe two or three times. Yeah, yeah. Like, and that's why I like it here, because the snow comes down, hits the ground, it's pretty, you make, you know, like a knee-high uh, snowman, and then it leaves. It goes bye-bye for, you know, the next year. And exactly. some years, it literally, like, how long have you been down here? Four and a half years now. Right. Like, some years, it doesn't even snow. Yeah. And you're like, oh, right, made it through without <laughs> any snow. Because the whole town shuts down. So yeah. Like, I couldn't even get out of my driveway. Like, I, I, I had a convertible, like a little small convertible a couple of years ago. I think, well, it's probably 2014 when we got a lot of snow. And I couldn't leave my house. Yeah. I tried. I was like, well, I'm going to try to go out and get some things done. I couldn't even get out of the driveway. The car kept sliding back down. And I was like, well, I guess I'm here today. Yeah. That first winter we came in 2014, it was, you know, everything shut down, all the restaurants. And I was the only one on the road. I just like, I'm going to the office, took my wife's four wheel drive and just went. So it's nice. Got a lot of work done. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, uh, you know, Jeff Jackson? I don't. So he's a uh, senator uh, and he lives in Charlotte. Oh, okay. And he came to national fame. It was, I think it was actually during that same storm I'm talking about where I couldn't get out of my driveway. He showed up uh, at, at work and none of the other senators were there. Hmm. He was the only senator 
and and he started just like live tweeting from the floor. <laughs> I think he was doing some live streaming. Oh, that's great. And, and it was really funny. Yeah. Like he seized that opportunity and he made national news. Really? That's very that. cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I really like him. Uh, he's a really cool guy. And, uh, you know, not to get political on the podcast, but I would like to see him go farther. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's the kind of guy I could get behind for a, you know, dare I say president. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really like Jeff, though. He's a, You should check him out. He's in, he, he is in Charlotte. Okay. And actually, yeah. uh, if anybody's listening and they have a line with Jeff, I would love to have him on the podcast as well. <laughs> uh, let's, get, let's get Jeff Jackson on the Future Self podcast. So, Dimitri, Kevin hooked us up. Uh, Kevin from episode 30, who was a great episode if you haven't listened to that one. Uh, he kind of hooked us up. The thing he says about you is you are a systems guy. A systems machine, maybe, <laughs> is what he said. And, and that always interests me because that's one of the hardest things I think that some business people have. They have the ideas. Mm-hmm. They have the work ethic. And, and they take these ideas and they start grinding it. And they start really trying to make things happen. And they look up after five years and they're still spinning their wheels. Mm -hmm. They're still busting their ass. They're still falling short. Their margins are terrible. And, you know, then they hire business coaches and and they're spending a lot of time and energy. And then you turn around and you see other people who they have this idea, they put it into practice, they execute and boom, they start finding success much quicker. And then someone like you, you know, I've heard a little bit of your story. You execute one place. Then you wrap that all up. You go to a new place. You execute again. Mm-hmm. Like that's not. I think some people from the outside see success and and they might think, oh well, one thing went right, you know. But when you look at the lives of very successful people, frequently you will see, no matter what area they were in, they figured out a plan and a formula to make success happen in that moment. Right. So that's one of the things I really want to drill down in with you is is that something that you've always had. You know, from a young age, do you did you feel like you were kind of a systemized person, or was it a skill that you developed? I think I've I've had it in inside of me. Um, it took time to develop it. Um, you know, as a as a young kid, I played soccer at a fairly high level and Olympic development program. I played overseas, so I had to develop certain practices in order for me to be successful at soccer. And it and it was done in my own backyard. I did, you know, drills and I I came up with different things that we didn't work on in practice that I could develop that was unique on its own and I kind of drilled down and so I would work on a specific set um, and I would I would not get to perfection but I would feel like I I made some real progress. And so I would just kind of compartmentalize that. I would just work on little things to make my overall game much better. Right. So at, at a young age, I feel like I had I had an idea of what that was supposed to look like. Now, was that something that your your parents kind of led you to? Was it something that you kind of reinvented the wheel yourself? I think it was just something that was somewhat innate. Uh, my dad was an immigrant. You know, he was a really hard worker. He had a different way of thinking than I was you know used to and seeing other people interact with uh, the way they coach soccer, the way they interacted with their kids, just in general. So my mind kind of thought us slightly differently anyway. And so I, I think I just took that and ran with it and implemented it in my own little unique way. Right. Now, I know you're a fan of Gary Vee, and, and he talks a lot about his parents being immigrants, and he says it's the best thing that ever happened to him. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? 100% agree. And that's why I think I love and connect with him on a certain level, because there's in, my dad came here at 16 with nothing, like just straight off the ship. 
and shirt on his back, no education, didn't speak the language, and he he just worked at a restaurant, and no one gave him a thing, and he managed it, and he kept moving up different to different things, different challenges, and to the point where he was an insurance agent for 30-some years, very successful, um, and branched off into other investments, and did extremely well for himself, but no one gave him anything, you know, and that, that work ethic, and he had to think differently to be different because he didn't have the college education. He didn't have some of the communication skills that we are all born with here in the U.S. So right. that work ethic really, really, that's what resonated with me and with Gary V's, you know, point of view. Did did he go out of his way to impress that upon you? Like, I, I know you see, you hear the story a lot that people that grew up with immigrant parents sometimes really go out of their way to say, hey, you're not going to fall in to this idea. I mean, I think that, and I'm not speaking on a personal level, I'm not making, passing any judgment on the current culture, but I think that uh, certainly I've seen it in immigrant circles that they think that children from the United States maybe are a little coddled, maybe uh, aren't as appreciative and aren't as hardworking. Was that a mentality that, that he pushed with you? or He didn't push it. He didn't push it, but I'm, I'm somewhat of an observant person. So even at a young age, I'm, I'm quiet a little bit, and I like to listen, I like to look, and I like to, to you know, see my surroundings. And I, and I watched how he did what he did. And so he didn't, he didn't say, hey, you know, do this, do that. Yeah, this is what it's going to take to be successful. He just lived it, and I watched it, and I absorbed it, and then I started implementing it. Because, you know, anytime anyone's successful, I want, I want, to, I want a piece of that. And I'm going to watch that person closely because I want to see what they're doing, and I want to take that. I like that. That's a really good mentality. And, and it's one I wish I would have cultivated earlier. Uh, I, have you read the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad? I haven't, no. So I just did, I mean, like last week. And, and it was, and that, that was the idea in that book as well, is observe what rich people are doing. That's right. The takeaway from the book is his actual father was a, a professor, had his doctorate, and, and had a very, uh, had the wrong mindset around money, very mm-hmm. much a limited mindset. Uh, and then his best friend's father be, went on to be one of the richest men in Hawaii. And, and he calls him his rich dad. Mm-hmm. And he talks about the lessons he learned from observing the two and, and how they viewed the world and, and the way that they worked and things like that. So that's just what that made me think of, obviously, because I just read it. But it's a, it's a really cool book. I've been hearing about it since I was a kid, basically. And, and I finally got around to reading it. I'm like, man, I wish I'd have read that earlier. Yeah. But so what, you know, you played soccer on, on a pretty high level. What led you back into the business world? So after college, I, um, I, I was just kind of trying to figure out what my next step was going to be. And my dad actually was like, hey, why don't you come back, check out insurance. It's been great for me. It's a, it's a great way to make a living. Now, where were you living at this time when he said come back? Yeah, so I was actually, I, I had finished four years of college. I went to Valparaiso University. Um, I transferred. So I lost about almost a year. Um, so I actually, I haven't graduated I never, I never finished. He, he was like, "Why don't you come back, check it out for the summer, then go back, you know, to college and finish off and whatever." So, I mean, I, I just started working over the summer, and every day was different. I was interacting with people that were making, you know, five, six, seven hundred thousand a year. I was interacting with people making thirty. I was gaining perspective that I never, I never even knew existed, and I was loving it. I was eating it up, and I was killing it. And so it came, we came to the end of the summer, and my dad's like, you ready to go back to school? I'm like, no, I'm no, not. I got not, the bug. I got the bug, and I've never been – I love learning, but 
for me, some in some ways, college just it wasn't. It was a tough thing for me to to just sit in class and just go through the motions. I'm a real um, I, I, I experienced person. I don't want to just read about. It. I want to do. It. I want to feel it. And so him and I had some really hard conversations because that was not okay. Yeah. Um, he was he was pushing pretty hard, and I promised him I would finish, um, but just let me do this. And I never went back and finished. I probably should um, at some point, I guess. But, how, m- how many credits are we talking? Uh, we're talking t- just over almost almost two semesters, so okay. almost a year. I mean, so. I'm sure that you could probably knock those out online. Yeah, yeah, I've looked at it actually, but you know, I'm just busy, just trying to find that time and, yeah. and try to make it a priority. It's not yeah. a priority for me right now. As but. I mean, to be fair shouldn't be yeah uh but at the end of the day i mean you know i mean i'm you did make your dad a promise yeah yeah exactly no you're right you're <laughs> I'm just, right just twi- twisting in the guilt spear <laughs> yeah uh so you got back out there you were working i, w- I want to talk a little bit about you said you saw people that were making six seven hundred eight hundred thousand dollars and people that are making thirty thousand when you saw that did, were you actively thinking uh, about the differences in how these people were living their life and what they were doing? Yeah, so it, the clients that, uh, one guy in particular is a real estate agent. Um, he had a house in the lake, two on the lake actually, and just was the hardest working guy I've ever seen. I mean, the guy was just incredibly hardworking, very uh, um, very groundbreaking in some of the things he was doing. And we were in a small market and he was destroying it in a very, very limited space. You know, I, I think about if he were in a big mar- bigger market like Charlotte, what he could have done. Um, so I looked at that too. I was very aware of the fact that he was doing extremely well in a small market and just, just kind of almost having him mentor me. You know, I would, I would see if I could get lunch with him as much as I could. I would, uh, I would go on appointments with him. Even though it wasn't my craft, I felt like I could learn from his craft what he was doing and implement it into what I was doing. Yeah, I like that. I, I mentor a lot of young men, and one of the things I encourage them to do is, is find other mentors because a lot, of, a lot of them have ideas of where they want to go. They want to be business people. You know, they, whatever it is that they want to do, we talk about how to get your foot in the door and find a mentor in that area, mm-hmm. someone that can help you go into that space. And, and, and I tell them, you know, Tony Robbins, I repeat his words. He says, I found out what books that poor people were reading, and I didn't read those books. Right. And it's the same thing. Look at what people are doing that you want to do. Find out what they're doing. Get in the room with them if you can. Like, yeah. take that internship. I hear young kids bitch sometime about, oh, I got an unpaid internship. Shut the fuck up. Right. Like, I don't. I'm not even speaking to whether or not that's legal or not legal. Give your time to someone who will give you theirs. Absolutely. You know, figure out a way to bring value to someone who can give you that value back because a mentorship is worth its weight in gold. Absolutely. And right this second, I would go work for someone for free. Right this mm-hmm. second, if it was the right person. Absolutely. You know, like if Tony Robbins was like, "Would you like to come follow me around and get my coffee?" A million percent, yes. Yeah. A million percent because I know that what he could teach me would be worth ten, twelve figures. Right. By itself. Uh, so I really like that. Get in the room because that's that's where the important stuff happens. Like they can talk to you, and and they can teach you and tell you things. But when you sit down and you see them talk to their lawyers, talk to their accountants, and manage their people, those are skills that you're going to take away. Like you said earlier, you observed how your dad was acting, and, right. and you were able to take those things and move forward with them. So that's something I encourage the listener to do is, is if you're in a place and you have an idea of where you want to go, get yourself in the room with people who are doing the things you want to do. Find out what networking events these people are going to and go there. 
and meet these people, put yourself in those circles, and damn sure be willing to do something for free if it'll get you in the door. Oh so. yeah, absolutely. And and when I'm mentoring people and I'm talking to my friends, they have some you know kids that are going to college. I'm like, shine the shoes of a, a, a CEO. Go do whatever it takes to get in that room and to see what he's doing because that's that's something you'll never learn in college. It's only something that you're going to see on the ground, and you you may not ever have that opportunity again when you're done with college and you need to make money and pay your bills. You're not going to have time to do that job where you're doing nothing and making you know making nothing. Right. You need to go do it now because it's maybe the only time in your life. Yeah, and that's another problem you, I think you see in college is is you go to college, you get these lectures. And then you come out, but I don't know that they necessarily taught us how to make money in college, how how to create money. Right. They taught us how to get a job and perform that job, but you know, from talking to a lot of my friends, because that's a, it's an area that's been very interesting to me is creating money, and a lot of my friends have the same idea. They they're very much you know, well, you create money by working. You work hard and you save. Mm-hmm. And and then as I started dissecting the habits and routines and financial habits of successful people, that's not what they do at all. Right. And one of the things that I, you know, when I was in college, I actually enjoyed my philosophy classes, my theology, my, and I took an, I was an econ major, so it wasn't business administration, because I felt like that was limiting myself. I, I needed my mind to expand so I could be unique and different in the marketplace. And I had that idea really early on that there's, everyone's kind of doing the same thing, and I don't want to just get in line and follow the next guy. Right. I want to create a path. And the only way to really create that path is to be creative. And so I took those courses with the, the, the idea that I need to expand my mind and be as creative as possible so that I can, I can implement that in a way in my life that will make me money or improve me as a human being. Yeah, I like that because that is one of the number one ways to stand out in the market is to take that different path. And I was talking about this earlier with another guy is I spent decades of my life telling me telling myself, labeling myself as a non-creative person. And because I, I would try to draw because I thought it was fun. Right. But I was a tear. I, it was bad. It was yeah. really, really bad. And then I saw other people who were very good at it, my same age. Yeah. And then I wanted to play music and I was very bad at that. And, and so I got to this point in my life where I said, well, I'm just not a creative person. And, and then I lived with that label for decades. Mm-hmm. And, and it's unbelievable to me that, that I did that to myself and I spent so many years. And then once I finally had my kind of reemergence, I realized that I, I am. Like the, I, I decided to go into a creative area where mm-hmm. I am not only creating for myself, I am helping other people create as well. I am helping them develop their own creativity. So I'm teaching other people to harness creativity, not only being creative in myself. And then that was a hard lesson for me to learn because I'd gotten on this path of, you know, you go to school, you get in line Mm -hmm. because I decided, well, I'm not creative, so I will go do what other people did. Right. I will see what they did and I will mirror it exactly. And that's not the point of a mentorship is is to become that person because Mm -hmm. you will never be them as good as they can be them. Right, exactly. You know, but no one else is going to be you as good as you can be you. Well, and, I, and, and it was funny about you mentioning, you, know, you can't, couldn't paint, couldn't play music. And I felt the same way. Like, I always wanted to do those things, but I wasn't born with that ability. I just wasn't. But I did have a creative streak to me. I just needed to find it. Right. And, and that, was, that was the point of it. I still appreciate art. I love it. I look at the strokes, and I'm just, I think it's amazing these people can do what they do. And I, I have an amazing appreciation for it. I wish I could do it, but... 
I can do that in other people in other parts of my life in ways that are beautiful as well. Right. I think we all have a creative streak. It's just figuring out where it is. Exactly. And and mine mine certainly in in speaking and communicating with other people, in creating content that resonates with other people. And it took me a long time to find that. But at the same time, I don't necessarily I don't it's not even necessarily I don't believe that any of us can't draw right. or that any of us can't paint or play music because one of the things I point out is I was not naturally gifted at music. I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. I saw guys that could play guitar and I was like, God, I want that. Sure. And I tried early in college. I tried. I spent so much time and energy and it was just it's so hard. Mm-hmm. Just really just a little bit here, a little bit here. And, and I spent years trying to play and I never got very good. And then uh, a few years ago, I decided that, well, I read this book called Mindset. Have you ever heard of it? Uh, I've heard of it, yes. It's an amazing book. Uh, it, it was one of those moments where a light bulb went off. But the basic point in the book is is that there are two mindsets. You have a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. The fixed mindset attaches their value to how smart they are. Mm-hmm. They feel that they are very much who they are. We were born because we hear it all the time. Oh, he is so talented. Mm-hmm. That is raw talent. And we place so much emphasis on talent. So as we're coming through school, we're told, and, and I was, oh, you're so smart. Mm-hmm. And But I, I was told I was smart, but I wasn't doing anything. I really wasn't. Like, I would go to school. I would do the thing. I would take the test. You know, you're in second grade. And, and so I wasn't doing anything different than anyone else was doing. I wasn't exerting myself. Mm-hmm. But I was smart. And I was like, cool, I'm smart. I right. like that. And then it was third grade where I guess it started to get hard. Mm-hmm. And I made my first D's because I was a straight A student. And I made my first D's and all of a sudden I'm not smart anymore. Like that, my identity shifted in that moment. Right. And then in fourth grade, I'm making bad grades and I'm getting in trouble. And and then I, I, I ultimately ended up switching schools in eighth grade and I enjoyed the school. The mm-hmm. teachers, were, it was a private school and sure. not to bash on public school in any yeah. way, but this was a school that really took time to focus on me and talk to me. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing? You need to do this. Right. And... And they spent time with me, and I'm back to being an A student again. Mm-hmm. And then I left that school three years later, and I go to another school, and I'm back to being a bad student right. again. And that's a lot of that's my fault for not actually doing the work. But I kept having a shifted mindset around whether or not I was smart. And what the book explains to you is it's effort. It's not, you know, if you attach your value to whether or not you're smart or whether or not you're good at something, then when it becomes hard, you're going to tell yourself naturally, I'm not good at this. I'm not the kind of person that's good at this. Instead of, you know, attaching your value to being a learner, someone who understands that if I put in the work, I can be good at this. If I am willing to do what it takes, I can be good at this. And so I picked the guitar back up again. And I'm proficient. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have the t- now that I have a baby, I don't want to blame her for everything in my life, but <laughs> it takes time sure. that, away from the, you know, some of my hobbies. But I decided it was one of the things in my life I'd always wanted. And I tried and I, I couldn't figure it out and I gave it up. So I picked it up again. And yeah, I'm proficient. Like I can carry rhythm, which is something I never thought I would do. Right. I will never be able to do the strum up and down thing because I don't even understand how <laughs> both hands can work together and make something sound pretty. <laughs> right, right. And now I can do that. That's awesome. You know, I'm not going to be on stage tomorrow, but yeah. who knows, maybe one day. Right. Uh, because I do love playing. It brings me a level of satisfaction. And I'm so glad that I came back to that because had I not, I never would have had that in my life. I never would have had that satisfaction to sit alone and play that guitar and bring myself joy. So it's one of the books that I recommend. I mean, I've probably recommended on half the podcast I've been on uh, is is Mindset because it's it was so empowering to me because I was in my mid-30s when I read it. And it was that light bulb that said, 
you can literally do almost anything you want if you are willing to do the work to get there. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, some things are easier than others. Some things we do have that innate talent. Like mm-hmm. I'm sure that you probably had some innate talent for soccer, mm-hmm. and and then you chose to develop that talent. But so many different people decide they want mastery in something that they have no talent in. Right. And and not to just keep plugging away at books, but Robert Greene wrote a book called Mastery. And it talks about that. It talks about the mastery process. Mm-hmm. And and he breaks it down in, in successful people's lives and goes through what it what these people did to achieve mastery. And then, and then he breaks down what we can do in our own lives to maybe accelerate that process. Sure, absolutely. And, and if, if you would have known me 20 years ago and, and said, yeah, you're going to be a salesman and you're going to be really, really good at it, you would have thought, I mean, it would have been an insane idea. Um, but that's something that I've had to develop communication skills um, over time. And to this day, I still record myself when I'm talking to people on the phone from time to time, just on my end to see what I sound like. Where, you know, where do I need to improve? Because I always feel like I can improve anything that I'm doing. But I mean, even to this day, I'm still doing that. I've been doing, I've been recording myself for 15 years and finding little things. And I need to tweak that. And I, and I've, over time, have gotten much, much better, but perfection is, is where I want to get, but it, it's going to take some time to, to continue working down that path, yeah, but I, I always want to fine-tune. I love that, because that is, you know, what gets measured gets improved. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things a lot of people will decide, they hit their baseline, and they're like, All right, I'm good here. Right. Um, I'm happy I can I can get what I need to get here, but instead of doing that, you're you're actually recording phone calls you're having with people. Yeah, and it's and it's one of those things where I, I'm never okay with where I'm at. So even if I'm if I finish number one in the company, I look at it. Okay, I, I did great there on the sales end of it. But how efficient were we? How much how much better could we have been? How could I have improved the client experience? So there's never there's never a point in time I think for an entrepreneur to say I did it. I'm good. I'm gonna sit back and relax because then then you, that's. You, you did it for the wrong reasons. You did it for the money. You did it for whatever. I'm doing it because I want to be the best at whatever I'm doing. Right. And I'm not going to stop until it gets there. And it'll never be there. And that's why it's an okay journey for me. I'm, I'm, it's always something that is unattainable, but to me it's attainable, so I'm going to keep pursuing it. Right. And, and the successful people of the world, uh, the prominent ones that you see, the Richard Bransons, he's not going to retire. Right, never. You know, he's honestly, he's probably going to die in a skydiving accident. <laughs> right. Like, he, uh, he, he's out there and, and they're all like that. It's, it, I think that's what made them successful right. is they weren't out there doing it for the money. The money is the byproduct right. exactly. of the hustle yep. of chasing the thing that they want. And, and that's the mindset that, that is important is do something that you love. Absolutely. Do something that when you get up to do it, even if you weren't making as much money as you're making, you still do it. Yeah. And I'm all about the experiences. You know, I, I'm not trying to buy happiness. I'm trying to live happiness. And I mean, you talked about Richard Branson. I mean, when they had the, when the hurricane hit, I mean, he went to the island before and tucked himself into the cellar with like five of his closest friends, and they drank wine and they got. I mean, he wanted to, he wanted to be there, and then he wanted to be there for the aftermath. And a guy like that, I I, I you know I, I really follow him, and I think he's an incredible human being from you know having learning disabilities at a young age and just his story of you know creating this airline and how it became and now where he is now and just having an experience filled life is so so important to me and that that's really what I'm striving for yeah and talk about a guy who is ruthlessly authentic absolutely he just he lives the big bold brash version of himself and, and, and when he like he, he tells somebody something they don't even second guess it right right I think I read a book I don't remember the guy who wrote it but he just started working for Richard Branson he just got in the job and they're in New York 
and and Richard tells him, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna go skywalk on a plane o- over New York City," uh, and the guy's like, "Oh shit!" He's like terrified to do this. Sure. And so Richard's like getting on the phone. They're booking the plane, and all day he's got speaking engagements all day. So they're like building up towards this. Right, right. And and the guy's freaking out and they're like getting the suits and they're talking about like wing walking and stuff <laughs> well you know as they're as they're headed to the airport he finds out it's a gag yeah yeah like he's not actually going to make him wing walk but that's it's it's richard branson right so why would you for one second think he wasn't about to be out on the wing of a plane walking <laughs> exactly you know i really like that uh, to swing back we were talking earlier about you know that fixed mindset and you were saying that you uh you clearly don't have that you are recording your conversations to figure out how to get better, how to provide more value for your client. And and, and that was something I did as well. I, I tell people this a lot, and they, they always seem a little surprised. I am not a natural communicator. I was I'm not I was socially awkward for many many years mm-hmm. and, and I didn't know what to do about that because the innate feeling for me was I want to talk to people I want to communicate right. like I'm, I'm the kind of guy who I want to drill down into some serious shit within the first like five seconds right like, exactly let's talk about something real cut the shit yeah and and I not being a good communicator but still trying to do that uh, it was really hard. Like people just didn't naturally gravitate toward me. Some people did because mm-hmm. you know there's always going to be the people who just like who you are. Sure. But I, I wanted to spread my message to as many people as possible, and I realized to do that I need to figure this out. And and so I spent years learning communication skills, like stu- reading books, like uh, you know one of the famous ones, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Right. There's a book called How to Talk to Anyone, and and people are just kind of consistently blown away that I was ever scared to talk to people. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that's great because I say, you can do it too. Sure, Whatever absolutely. it is that you are worried that you can't do today, start learning how to do it. Right. Figure those skills out. And, and it's weird that that's just not common thinking. Right. Like why we look at someone like Bryce Harper, and, and he's one of the baseball, best baseball players in history, mm-hmm. and he's only, what, in his mid-20s. And... No one would ever look at him and say, I can't believe he spent so much time practicing. Like, no. They're like, he takes a thousand swings a day or whatever because he wants to be the best. And then when it comes to our, some of the most important things in life, our social skills, our ability to communicate, it's not, we don't have that same view on that. If we were to find out that someone sits in their office and listens to themselves all day, because I listen to my own podcast Mm -hmm. over and over and over again, because I'm trying to listen for the things I'm doing well. And I'm trying to listen for the things I'm not doing well. Right. It, it, it's important because one of the things, you know, nonstop. Right, yeah. You know, and that's one of, I just did it <laughs> without even thinking about it. Because I listen to my podcast over and over, I've written that out right. in front of my desk. I've written out the words, you know, because I focus on it all the time because it's one of the things I need to cut down on because it interferes with my ability to communicate, I believe. Right. Because when I listen to another podcast and they have verbal tics, like that, some of them are um, um, over and over and over, it takes away from the message. Absolutely. Or if I'm listening to a lecture, these verbal takes can take away from the message. So instead of getting down on myself and being like, oh, it's fine, I want to fix that. Right. I want to get to a point where I'm using you know, the when I want to say you know. Right, exactly. Uh, so I am a big fan of figuring out what your flaws are, writing them down, and chasing them in that moment. And, and I think that uh, talking about communication skills, I actually think that is the single most important thing that, that you can develop 
because I think even if you're a corporate guy, you're working there, you're, you're always communicating, you're selling yourself to move up that corporate ladder, if that's what you do. Uh, if you're in sales like I am, you're communi- if you can't communicate, you're not, you're not going to be able to make it period. It's not going to happen for you. And so I actually go on both ends of the spectrum. So uh, I'll watch guys that are amazing communicators and I'll just, I'll watch how they communicate. I'll see what they're doing, their mannerisms, their uh, just everything about them. Then I go on the other side and I see guys that are horrible communicators. And I want to make sure that I'm identifying that they're not a good communicator. Because if I don't think, if I think they're fine and I can't tell they're not good, then there's something wrong with the way that I'm communicating. Right. So I'm try, I try to go back and forth because I want to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm seeing it on the right level. I like and, that. And if you're not consciously identifying it, you might be unconsciously internalizing exactly. it. Exactly. And well, is Jim Rohn, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time yep. with. And, and if you're spending time with people who are bad communicators, then your communication skills are going to get less sharp. Right. They're going to get blunted a little bit. And, and that goes back to what we were saying earlier with you know watching the habits of successful people. If you get in the room with those successful people and spend time with them, then you are, you know by that law of those averages, are going to find more success in your own life. Right, exactly. So I really like that. Uh, I don't want to keep you here all day, so let me kind of drill down into some of the issues I really wanted to talk about. And the thing that I'm most curious about is those systems you're implementing in your business. So when you approach this business, you open uh, Brightway yes. Insurance here. Correct. What is that thought process you're going through? Because I want to ask you so the listener can can think about a way they would implement systems into their business. So you're starting this business out. You know you want to start this business. How do you create these systems, just kind of that broad level view? So one of my biggest referral sources are there, there's two. There's lenders and there's realtors. So I needed to set the business up in a way that was working and catering towards a specific niche. So I didn't – everyone needs insurance, so I wasn't just going to go after everyone. I can't, I can't be that – that broad. I had to be I had to dial it in and get very specific. So I had to identify and I actually had to learn phrases. I wanted to know what the lender or the realtor was concerned about. So I, I really drilled into that. So my processes are are somewhat around what they what they need and what they do. So Typically, a lender needs things very quickly. So I've implemented processes in my business that if they if they send me a request, they're going to get it in 30 minutes. It's just going to happen. And then, so that that's that's the overview. That's the macro. It has to happen in 30 minutes. Then I drill it down. How can I make that happen in 30 minutes when I'm quoting other policies out for other people, when I'm on the phone? So I had to drill it down and say, okay, I need to hire a person to do X, Y, and Z so I can do A, B, and C. So I just kept drilling it down so that that 30 minutes actually happened. And so I just, it's more or less just taking that broad view and going piece by piece by piece, how can I get it there? And I practiced it. Can I actually get it done in 30 minutes? Can another human being get it done in 30 minutes? So I need to manage those expectations for the people on the other end. So it was more or less just every little thing that we do, one minute, two minutes, three minutes, how can I speed that up? 
How can that three minutes be a minute and a half without losing any quality? And sometimes it's little things. I mean, there's, I listened to a podcast and one of the guys at Facebook, you know, he said, I, I went into everybody's computer at the end of the day and I sped their mouse up to the top speed. Oh. It improved bottom line by like 12%. And I did that. And everyone was like, and I didn't say anything to anyone. And they're like, oh my gosh, this computer is so fast. I can get so much more work done. I'm like, no, actually I just did one little tweak. And so there's little tweaks that you can do to, to make things quicker. But I don't ever want to lose quality. But how can I make it efficient? Leverage technology. Leverage uh, product knowledge. Uh, anticipate the client's needs or the, the referral source's needs before they even ask me. Because instead of an email exchange going back and forth asking me for something, I already know what they want. Man, I like that. Um, and the, the mouse part is something I discovered when I first uh, started using a mouse again. Because I got a bigger desk, I got a desk, uh, I got an iMac a few years ago, and so I had to go back to a mouse because I've been using a trackpad for a long time, and I did. I went right to that, uh, to speeding it up because I felt like I was moving my hand around it. Right. And yeah, and now it's, I, I, when I have to use someone else's computer, I'm like, dear Lord, <laughs> right? dragging the mouse across the desk. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't even think about the fact that that would increase efficiency for other people. Absolutely. Like I know it does for me. Like my trackpad now, I just I barely have to move my finger around to get things done. Because once you pick it up, it's not the learning curve. It's like, yeah, right. yeah super short. Yeah. And in the insurance business, you know, the, the, the process traditionally, and, and my reps come in and they're like, nobody does it like this. And I love, that's the best compliment anyone could ever give me. So the way it's always been done is, you know, the agent does what they do, they make the sale, they put it in the system, they get the signature. All that stuff is kind of slowing down this, the actual process. So I take that and I have people that, that do one thing. They put it just in the system or they just get signatures or they just do this. Just like when, you're, when they're building a car, there isn't one machine that does the whole thing. Every machine has a part and that's kind of how we run things. Every, every part of my business is done by by a person that specializes in that specific task. Nice. So when you were setting up these these systems and processes, were you using uh, software? Because that's one of the questions that, that I'm just am personally curious with is, were you using any particular apps or software? Were you mind mapping things? So Evernote is absolute essential. That That is an amazing program that I think everyone should use, even for personal use. I use it for my own. I don't know how I did my own thing at home personally without it. Uh, we, we do utilize that in our business um, extensively. We yeah. use... He is, not, not, uh, I'll come back to that, but he is preaching to the choir here. My <laughs> listeners know that I am a big Evernote user. Uh, and I will link in the blog and on the show notes uh, a link for you to get one free month of Evernote Premium if you sign up with that link. So go ahead. And then Slack is another thing that we use. So I have, instead of using Outlook you know, for inner office mail, we actually use Slack, which is an amazing tool. It's like instant messenger meets message board meets email. And, and because I have two people that work remotely, we can still communicate almost real time. Instead of them, again, calling me, dialing the number, getting me on the phone, they can quickly chat, I can quickly go back to them. Um, so again, Maybe it's about 30 seconds to a minute, but if you do that 15, 20 times a day, you've wasted 20 minutes where you could have utilized that time in a better place. So Slack is huge for us as yeah, well. Big fan of Slack myself. Uh, I, I moved from that when I had my office. I moved from using email because I spent so much time. I realized I'm spending so much time searching my emails. Right. 
what can I do to make that more efficient? And uh, being in the tech space already, I asked a couple people, and the answer was just unanimous Slack. You absolutely want to use Slack. Definitely. So, yeah, I love that. I, I use it. Uh, I think I have four different things for four different areas that I work in. Right. Like four different companies set up for people that I'm talking to in different areas. And, and you know, for anyone who's listening, one of my favorite aspects of it is even within a company, you can have a private channel for just two or three people that no one else can see. And you can set up public channels. It's a, it's an amazing app. I will link that as well. Uh, I don't know that I have the ability to get you any free time on that, but it's pretty much free anyway. It is. It's free. I don't pay for it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, unless you're using to a certain number, right. most companies uh, aren't going to have enough users, if you're a small company, that you're ever going to have to pay for it. Correct. So yeah, check out Slack. I'll link that in the blog and the show notes as well. Um, so when you're building it, is there mind maps? I'm just getting into mind maps over the last year, and I, I love. I, I was surprised how many people are actually using them. Uh, no, it's all right. It's good. So a mind map is, uh, you know, if you're looking like you have that one thing in the middle. Mm-hmm. Here's the project, right? And then every little piece comes off of it with a name. Okay. Like, and then it, and then it spider webs out. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. We actually don't have anything like that set up. It's best practices. We actually are talking about putting something like that in place. Everyone's been with me for a couple years now, and the best practices have been building on for the last two years. So we're all pretty dialed into what we, you know, we know what everyone is doing. Uh, so we don't have a specific map as far as what that looks like. However, that is something that I, I would really like to have. It would, um, it would, I'd like to be organized, and I think that would help me be a little bit better organized in that way. But we're pretty specific. This person is doing this, and, and they know what they're doing at all times. Right. I like that. Yeah, I'm just getting into my maps, and it's helped me organize my thoughts yeah. because I was organizing everything in Evernote, and I like having everything in Evernote. But when I'm trying to brainstorm a big idea, mm-hmm. the mind map has come in super handy. Okay, uh, because you can kind of just brain dump into it, and then come back and tweak things and move them around and drag and drop. And there's some really good software out there, pretty inexpensive. Yeah. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. I, I learned it on another podcast. A guy, he's a mind map expert. That's his entire job is helping people mind map. Okay. Um, and so that again, that's just one of those things. It's like, don't tell me there aren't jobs out there. Right, right. <laughs> Figure out something, get good at it, yep. and learn a way to monetize it. Because this guy makes his entire living on teaching people how to mine. Oh, that. wow. Right. So, yeah, I really, really like that. <laughs> so what is the long-term vision? Uh, it's one of the things I've been liking to talk to people about because I just really got into my own vision of 10 years. Like, what's that 10-year vision for you and Brightway and the family? Yeah, so eventually it would be a perpetuation plan where um, if my kids want to get into it, they'd have to earn their way into it, and they would have to start from the bottom. Um, but eventually, I would hope that they would come into the business. If they don't, that's okay. Uh, the the long term vision is, I love it. I want to continue doing this for the next ten years. But I also want to do some other investments. I don't know what that looks like. Uh, I've got in my Evernote. I've got ideas, and I, every time I have one, I scratch one in. Always, I'm always putting in ideas, and and I'm just. It's, I'm letting them incubate because I really believe that when it's when it's time to make that change um, and, and invest in that specific thing, it's going to happen. I don't want to force it. I don't want to make it make it something that's not there because insurance will always be something I do. But I want I always I always like to have little other streams of income. I think it's good to be diversified. Um, but that that's kind of the long term. And for me, from a business perspective, I'd like to own multiple businesses, um, but I don't. I'm not drilled into a specific line. I just I, the market changes. It, five years ago, it looks so. The landscape looks so much different today. You've got cryptocurrency where no. If you five years ago, they they would have no idea what you were talking about. Now it's on everyone's radar. Five years is such a short period of time in the length of our history. So, 
I just there's things happening, big things, and I'm just I'm just keeping my eyes open. Yeah, I like that. It's it reminds me of the uh, the camera. Is it Kodak? Yeah. That yeah they I mean destroyed the market right forever. Yeah. yeah. And and I read one of the books I read did a really deep bio on the story. Mm-hmm. And digital they were at the forefront of digital. Right. And wh- whoever was working on that project brought it up in the boardroom and they were talking about it and they, they had it, they mm-hmm. had the technology and, and they buried it because they were making most of their money on prints and instead of realizing that this is a technology that is, is probably coming. They tried to bury the future and, and try to make their money in the short term. I don't think, I think most people know kind of how that story ends. Right. Somebody else came around, took that technology, ran with it. And now the idea of developing a picture is is Crazy. insane. And, right. and honestly, when we do develop pictures, we submit them online. Right. We right. submit our digital pictures to then be mailed to us by like <laughs> Snapfish or or whatever. And and it's it's the idea of not being ready for what the market's doing. Right. Trying to kind of stay in that old old zone instead of being ready to move and evolve. And, and then if, go ahead. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that's helped us be very uh, nimble in, in doing what we do with insurance is that the market is still doing what it did 15 years ago. And I've been in it for 15 years, so I know what that looks like. So we have just embraced the fact that it is different and we're going to be different. And just because you keep doing things the same way for the past 15 years and you've been successful, the next 15 years are going to be very different and you're going to continue to have to evolve and adapt. And if you don't, you're going to be gone. And you're going to be gone much quicker than in the past where a company that was successful and was just slightly above me you know mediocrity and keep they're they're going to die very quickly you can't there's no there really isn't room for mediocrity in the marketplace there either you are or you aren't and and you'll die a quick death not a slow death anymore right absolutely one of the questions i have we were talking about insurance i've i, I see a lot i see tech moving into that space Mike. right is that something that you're having to compete with and i don't know much about it mm-hmm. i just see these apps that are popping up that are like insuring your personal items, right. like your coat, things like that. How is that changing the market? It hasn't changed the market a whole lot yet. Uh, not to say it won't in the next two to three years. Uh, right now, most of Lemonade is one of the ones that's kind of uh, emerged. They're doing renter's insurance. So that's about that's a very controllable risk. That's very easy. Home insurance, there's a lot of different things, the age of the roof. There's a lot of factors that go into a home insurance policy that that's not you, you just can't open the app and do it. There's underwriting that's involved. Auto insurance can be somewhat automated. Geico has a very strong stranglehold on the market, uh, so we are competing there. But where we, where where they they have you know the accessibility, they're always available. And so I've had to adapt. We're always available. That's my tagline. If you need me at eleven o'clock at night, we will be there. If it's not me, it's one of it's one of the other people in the tree. But you will get somebody if you need a quote. Uh, so. We're adding value where you have agents in that place that haven't been in the business, that don't understand what that looks like, and it exposes keeping, you know, people are exposed in liability in ways that I don't allow that to happen. So we're building value from a standpoint of making sure they're covered properly, but also I have to adapt and be progressive. Geico's available all the time. I have to be. Right. And if I'm not, then I'm gone. Right. They're going to make a phone call. They're not going to get anybody. They're going to move on. Right. And in the days of calling your insurance agent at three o'clock in the afternoon to spend 15 minutes on the phone to to get a quote are are going away are almost gone. So people want to be at home at seven eight o'clock at night sipping on a glass of wine and they want to be able to get that quote and they want to do it 
typing on the computer. And yeah. so I have to accommodate that as You're well. You're absolutely right. Like if I'm kind of going back and forth between two similarly situated options, the one I don't have to talk to will frequently be the one that I choose. Yeah. So our, our model is we're going to make it as easy as possible for you. We are going to accommodate you in a way that they even the other big boys aren't doing for you yet and they may get there to a certain point but yeah we're just we're just being as as um as accommodating to the client and being really really ready to take care of everything that they need even more like i said canceling policies which i don't think geico does or progressive does so we're doing even above and beyond what they're doing so that we can stay a step ahead cool well i hate to wrap this up too quick because i feel like we're just scratching the surface i'm definitely going to want to have you back at some point i really enjoyed that uh, where can the listeners find you online? How can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so I actually don't have a huge online presence. I do have a Facebook page, Brightway Insurance, the Dimitri J. Apostle Agency, uh, Dimitri.apostle at brightway.com. Uh, those are actually the two places where you can find me. All right, perfect. And we will link those on the blog and in the show notes uh, so you can reach out to Dimitri. Well, thank you, sir. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. All right, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Dimitri Apostle as much as I did. I feel like I have barely scratched the surface with Dimitri, so I already look forward to having him back again. He is a guy who knows what he wants, and he is ruthless about creating a path to get there. Remember, we all get the same 24 hours in a day. It is how we choose to use them that defines us. Again, you can find Dimitri at Brightway Insurance, the Dimitri J. Apostle Agency, which I will link for you on the blog and in the show notes. All right, before I let you go, one quick reminder about the comprehensive podcasting course at Advent Coworking from idea to iTunes, and you're going to get all that delicious podcasting goodness served up in person by yours truly. Whether you already have an idea or you need some help nailing one down, in just four short weeks, I'm going to help you take that idea and launch it on iTunes. So if you're ready to press play on your own podcast, head on over to yourpod.pro to sign up for details. That's yourpod.pro. All right, listeners, I know that your time is your most valuable asset. So I thank you once again for spending just a little bit of that time with me today. Now, until next week, get out there and get after it.